11 and Matthew 16. <laughs> Lisa, hurry up. We're trying to start church here. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Then I want to pray as we start and uh, just want to encourage you, let's open our hearts together and just allow the Lord to minister his message, what he wants to share with us this morning. Okay, so let's just open our hearts so that we can have fertile soil so that the word, the, the seed will be planted and be effective and be fruitful. So, Father, we just come to you right now and we say thank you for what you're doing this morning. We thank you for your message. We thank you for your encouragement, your hope. Lord, even through the, the different variety, Father, we just thank you for your wonderful message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful to you, Father. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, deal with us, convict us, challenge us. We just open our hearts and we submit to you right now. And we do have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And Father, we have a heart to embrace your word and be doers of the word. So thank you. Thank you, Father, for your anointing upon your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you ready? All right. First Corinthians 11. Starting with verse 24. It says, and when he, when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Now turn to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, When you take, take these elements... When we take communion, he said, do it in remembrance of me. Who is he? Who are we doing this in remembrance of? And that's the question. Who are we doing this in remembrance of? And look in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or, some, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So first he asked, who do people say? In other words, what's the, what's the poll? What are the polls saying? What's the popular opinion out there? Who do people say that I am? And so oh, some say John the Baptist and, you know, these different characters. And then he got to the real question. He asked his disciples, so who do you say that I am? And that's the question because when we take communion, when he said, do this in remembrance of me, well, who are we doing this in remembrance of? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And that's the question the Holy Spirit's asking us this morning. Who do you say that he is? 
Do you think he's just another prophet? Just another good man? You know, there's, a, there's a, uh, an opinion out there that Jesus was a good teacher. That he wasn't the son of God, but he was a good teacher. And as I shared this before, I actually did a... Um, Claire, I don't know if you were in youth group when we did this. When we did the poll, I encouraged the, the young people to go out in, in, the, in the community and, and ask people that question, who do you say Jesus is? Does that sound familiar? Do you remember that? It might have been after your time. Um, or Mike Harper. But anyway, I asked the youth to go ask people. And ask them this question, who do you say that Jesus is or who is Jesus to you? And I remember asking this guy in, in the Conoco station, so I have a question for you. And, he, and I said, who is Jesus Christ to you? And he gave me that answer that I was expecting to hear from, that I've heard from a lot of people. Oh, he said, well, I believe Jesus was a good man, good historical figure, a good teacher, good man. But I don't believe he was the son of God. I thought, interesting. And do you realize that Jesus never gave anyone the option to think that he was just a good teacher or a good man? Have you ever thought of that? That that is one option that we do not have when it, we're considering who Jesus Christ is. And actually, there's only three options when it comes to who Jesus Christ is. There's three options. He's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Those are the only three options we have. The reason why I say that because okay, uh, he said he was God, did he not? He said he was God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I and the Father are one. Matter of fact, why was he killed? Because he said he was God. So Jesus himself said he was God. So either he was lying, he wasn't God, and he was lying, deceiving people. Or he was a little delusional. He thought he was God, but he really wasn't. And there's people like that in the news. You know, you see these stories. This guy thinks he's the Messiah or God and that kind of thing. So either Jesus was lying or he was delusional. He was a lunatic or he was who he said he was. Those are the only three options for someone to say, I think he was a good man, but not the son of God. It's a contradiction because he said, so how could he be a good man and be lying at the same time? So anyway, so that's just a little side note. So if you ever need some, some good cooler talk at work, try that. But be careful. It might be a little, little dangerous. But anyway, so Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And he's asking us the same thing. Who do we say Jesus is? And I remember when I came face to face with this question many years ago, I was confronted with this question. I grew up going to church. And I grew up in a family. My mom and dad were divorced when I was 11 years old. So I had to deal with all that stuff and thank God for Father's Heart School because that uh, helped me to get through that stuff. But I grew up uh, in a military family. My dad was in the military. We traveled all over the world, lived in Germany, um, in Oklahoma most of my life. Parents got divorced when we got back from, from Germany. But the good thing is my mom sent me to church regularly. You notice, sent me to church. She didn't go, but... Uh, actually sent me and my brother. So we went to church regularly. And church wasn't all bad, even though we had to ride the bus, which was pretty cool because in the morning we got uh, glazed donuts. And in the afternoon we got uh, McDonald's cheeseburgers. So I enjoyed church. 
Well, actually, I enjoyed the ride to church and the ride home. Church was, the main thing was trying to stay awake. But anyway, so I went to church regularly, didn't have a relationship with God, didn't know God. I, I believe I wanted to, grew up, never uh, just learned about Jesus. And I remember one time when I was 16, I went on a retreat and having a good time, enjoying playing games, football, basketball, all kinds of stuff, having a real good time. And, and then the youth pastor had to mess things up. We were having a Bible study, and he, had to scare, he scared the hell out of me, literally. He said, he talked about hell, and if you die without Jesus, you're going to hell, and how many of you don't want to go to hell, that kind of stuff. And, whoa, do not want to go there. So I raised my hand, repeated the prayer that he, he prayed or had us pray, and that was it, moved on. And I continued living life the way I was living it before that. So I prayed a prayer to escape hell. But that was that was pretty much it. Now, I did pray every night before I went to bed. But my prayer, it was something like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to take. If I should die before I wake, you know that that prayer. And then I would say, God, forgive me for my sins. And I would try to remember the sins that I committed. And I'd ask his forgiveness. But the thing was, is I had no intention I was praying for forgiveness, but I had no intention of repenting. So it was like a formula, a thing. I don't know where I picked it up, learned it somewhere. Live my life before I go to bed. Pray and ask God to forgive me for my sins. Get up the next day. Live my life again. So that's what I did year after year after year. Then when I went when I was 16, went to that retreat, prayed that prayer, but still life was the same. Then when I graduated from high school, came to OSU on an academic scholarship to be an engineer major. And I'm embarrassed to say that I had no idea what an engineer was. I thought it had something to do with running a train. So you can imagine how surprised I was when I started taking the classes. They didn't talk about trains at all. So I wanted to take the next one out of here. But anyway... Um, I enjoyed school. I loved school. And the only reason why I chose engineering, the only reason why. Now, I have to say that that money was my little G, was God. Money was God to me. Money was, I thought, everything. And so I wanted to get as much of it as I could, as soon as I could, legitimately, because I didn't want to go to prison. I wanted to be able to enjoy the money that I accumulated. So I was going to do it legitimately. So anyway, I was in, in math class in high school. And the teacher had a poster on the board, one of the walls, and it had highest paid salaries coming out of college. At the top of the list was engineer. Now, I wish they would have put a little asterisk by it. And then on the bottom said, this does not mean running a choo-choo train. But they didn't say that. So I assumed. Anyway, so I thought, okay, engineering, that's my, that's my ticket to money fast. So I uh, did good in school. So I had good grades, got a scholarship, came to OSU. Great school, by the way. Woohoo! OSU, yeah. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Don't want to offend some of my other brothers. Never mind. We're not going to even go there. I don't even go there. Anyway, so I came to OSU, academic scholarship. Enjoyed school. Was doing a good job, and you know, I mean, I enjoyed school for the most part. I hated the engineering classes, but actually, for the first two years, it was just basic stuff. So um, it wasn't too bad, you know, English and. And things like that, math, I had to take some math courses. Anyway, I also I met a man, uh, he was a senior, I was a freshman, I was, met this guy named John Coleman. Where's Gordon? You remember John Coleman, Gordon? Um, 
met a guy named John Coleman, and for some reason he took interest in me. He, he just talked to me, you know, was friendly to me and everything. I thought he was a real neat guy, a real nice guy. But I was, and there was something about John. You know how you hear about people who, it's like, that person just had a glow about them. You've, you've heard people describe like that. Well, to me, John was one of those kind of people. There was something about him. I wasn't sure what it was, but it's just really different, but a good kind of different. And so I really, I really liked him. And the fact that he took notice of me, a freshman, because you know how insecure we little freshmen are or were. And so the senior took notice of me and was real nice to me and everything. So I thought that was pretty cool. But then he would invite me to church all the time. He invited me to church all the time. Hey, when are you going to come to church with me? Oh, that's nice, but I have my own church. I went to a church regularly because I continued my hobby or habit of going to church on Sunday. And so I went to church, and so I told John, well, I'm go- I already have a church, etc. So I always had a, a reason. But he was very persistent, kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get him to stop asking if I just say yes. I said, okay, I'll go to church with you sometime. He said, how about this Sunday? And somehow... I said, yes, I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, yes, made a commitment to go to church with him, had no intention to. And then that morning, um, church started at 10 o'clock, I believe, and it was about 935 and I hear this pounding on my door. Boom, 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 boom. And it's John, CJ, get up. Boom, boom. It's time for church. Boom, knocking on the door. And my roommate, who wasn't a Christian, had no interest in spiritual things, betrayed me. He gets up and unlocks the door and lets John in. See, I was just going to pretend like I was such a, in such a deep sleep that I didn't hear him. But he betrayed me. John comes in, shaking me on the bed. CJ, get up, get up. I said, what time is it? He told me. I said, what time is church? He told me. I said, I don't have enough time. I'll go with you next week. Well, he wouldn't hear that. Come on, get up. We can make it. He drug me out of bed. I had time enough to brush my teeth and put on deodorant and get clothes on. And then so I go to church with him. And another friend of mine, my best friend at the time, Gordon, you remember Lewin? Remember Lewin O'Brien? Well, he was a close friend of mine, so we went to church together. Me, Lewin, and John. Go to church. I thought this church was interesting because the people, they were very friendly, uh, very warm, welcoming, you know, hugs. I wasn't used to that because I grew up in a traditional church. And the, the thing that was interesting about this is that people seemed to want to be there at church. I said, what's wrong with you people? Because when I grew up going to church, we were there, but we didn't want to be there. None of us really wanted to be there. But we were there because we were supposed to be there. These people act like they really wanted to be there. So that caught my attention. Hmm, they must be feeding them something. Or there must be something good going on here. So anyway, you know, the praise and worship was was similar to what we had this morning. It was upbeat. It was lively. I enjoyed it. That was good. The The pastor preached. And I don't remember what he said, but I stayed awake. So that was another plus. I don't remember what he said, but it was interesting. Stayed awake. And then after the service, after he finished, he gave an altar call and Lewin responded to the altar call. So he went forward and you know how that is. It takes a while. Now, the only problem with that, I wasn't I wasn't upset that Lewin wanted to get saved or become a Christian. But what I was concerned about was I was a college student that was on a meal plan. And on Sundays on the campus, they only serve breakfast and lunch, no dinner. So if you miss lunch, you don't get to eat until breakfast the next morning. So you can see my dilemma. And the deal was, was the cafeteria closed at one o'clock sharp. And here we are pushing 1240 or something like that. And so when the pastor said, amen, when he was finished preaching, I thought, oh, cool. I've got some time to get across campus and get 
get to, uh, to the cafeteria. But then when Lewin decided to throw a wrench in that and get saved, it's like, come on, Lewin, get saved any time. I'm messing with my lunch. Well, so then, so he's, the pastor's talking to Lewin, and I'm, you know, looking at the clock and thinking, come on, come on, speed this up, hurry, hurry, hurry. And, um, well, so then after the pastor finishes with Lewin, he wants to speak to me. He says, CJ, can I talk to you for a second? It's like, yeah, as long as I make it to lunch in time. Now, I didn't say that, but I was thinking that, right? So he, I sit down, and he says, I want to ask you a question. He was talking to me, and I can't remember what he was saying, but he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ 100%? He said, not 99, not 9.5, but 100%, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus right now? And it was interesting when he asked me that question because now I was going to college. I was happy, content, enjoying life, enjoying school. I was not discouraged, depressed. I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't in gangs. I wasn't messed up in life. I was enjoying my life. I was a good guy, good kid. Never, well, I won't say never, but mostly didn't give my parents grief. They'd consider me a good kid, not a rebellious kid. So I was a good person, enjoying life. But right before, a few weeks before I went to church with John that morning, I started having these thoughts, started having restlessness in my soul and couldn't sleep at night. Questions like, What is life about? Why am I here? What happens if I die? I mean, real stuff like that. And this is that go on over and over. And I couldn't sleep, tossing and turning, restless. And this went on for some time, three, four weeks. But when the pastor asked me that question, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? One hundred percent. Something inside. Now I recognize the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He said, this is it. In other words, when he said Jesus' commitment to him, he was the answer to what I was dealing with. What is life about? What happens when I die? And all that kind of stuff. And I knew that Jesus was the answer to that. But I knew he was asking me 100% commitment. And I said, yes, I am. Ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ 100%. And boom, things changed in my heart, my soul. And so I prayed the prayer with them. And this time I meant it. It wasn't just to escape hell, but it was commitment to Jesus. And he talked to me some more and and we did all this kind of stuff. And I don't remember what else. Everything else was a blur. But I realized how much God loved me because I made it to the cafeteria right when the door was closing. Made it just in time to cafeteria. So that was a wonderful day. But anyway, so that pastor started meeting with me and Lewin, started coming to my dorm room, meeting with us, going through the word together with us and teaching us stuff. And and the interesting thing about this was my view of pastors. I grew up in a traditional church going there all my life and the pastors were put on a pedestal and they were very unapproachable. And you were very blessed or pleased or whatever when you got to shake their hand going out of the church. And so that was my view of pastors. So the the thought of a pastor coming to my Smelly guy's dorm room, spending time with me, totally blew my mind. I thought, dude, what is up with this guy? And this guy rolled up his sleeves and just dug in the word with me and Lewin and taught us God's word. Taught us over and over, teaching us stuff. It's interesting because it was one passage he taught me or that I learned as I was getting in the word was 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. If you can turn there real quick. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. First Peter chapter five, verse seven. 
And it says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon God, because he cares for you. Now, another um, thought process that I had going on in my life was that I believed in God. Even before, you know, when I was going to church and everything, I, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. Just didn't have a relationship with him. But I believed in God. I believed he was powerful. He was big. And he made, created the world and everything. But I believed that God was so powerful, so big, and so important, and so, doing so many important things that he didn't care about my daily insignificant things. So in other words, I felt like, okay, you know, just do the best you can. Go to church. You know, God's concerned about me going to church on Sunday and Wednesday and being a good person. But other than that, I was pretty much on my own. And so when the process of being taught by this pastor and reading the word, I come across the scripture says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. I'm like, what? All my care? Not just going to church and not just the big things. I mean, he cares about my little stuff, even like he cares about world peace and wars and all that kind of stuff. And that's what the Lord was beginning to teach me and deal with me about. And I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty radical. And then um, there was a, a time later when I started having these thoughts. And this was soon after I became a Christian. Started having these thoughts. I had this time when these thoughts went through my mind. You know what? If God is not real, then going to church is a waste of time. Reading the Bible is a waste of time. Doing these things that I was doing is a waste of time if God's not real. And didn't that make sense? Wouldn't you agree with that? If God is not real, then what we're doing right now is a waste of time. And I was thinking, yeah, that's true. If God's not real, man, why even start this? But before my mind can just start, take, go on that track and just run with it, another thought came But if he's real, then doesn't he deserve all of you? Doesn't he deserve every bit of your being? I thought, hmm, that's just as true, too. I mean, if God, the creator of the universe, almighty, wonderful, if he's real, doesn't he deserve every part of me? I thought, hmm, yeah, that's true, too. At the time, I didn't realize that the Holy Spirit was setting me up. So he was the one leading me with these questions and he was leading me somewhere. Of course, I didn't know that. I just thought I was just thinking these things on my own. But what I, what happened was, as I mentioned before, I came and I was on academic. I was on scholarship. And of course, to keep, you know, you have to maintain certain grades. To keep your scholarship. Now, those of you who have heard the testimony that I'm about to share, you've heard it several times. I just ask your forgiveness and bear with me. Because I have to share this anyway because it's a very pivotal part in my life. Uh, some of you can share this testimony as well as I can because you've heard it so many times. But I was on scholarship and I had to maintain a certain GPA to keep my scholarship. And I liked the scholarship because it paid for school so I didn't have to. So I was very motivated to do good in school to keep the scholarship. But I was taking Calculus 2. Calculus 2. Take Calculus 2, and, well, actually, Calculus 2 was taking me to the woodshed and whipping my butt. I was getting massacred in this class. Calculus 1, I did, I did okay in. Calculus 2 was another language from another planet, and I was not getting it. And matter of fact, I was failing the class. No, wait a minute. Let's see. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay, thank you. 
I told you I was failing the class. We had two more finals to take and we, there was enough time. Now for me to, I needed a B in the class. And for me to get a B, I had to make pretty much a hundred on the final. Which, yeah, I'm going to go from flunking to making a hundred, right? Woohoo! Yeah, that sounds easy. Well, so this is Thursday night. The night before the final was a Friday morning. And all of a sudden I remember what the Lord had taught me out of his word. Cast all your care upon me because I care for you. I'm like, yeah, God, but you don't understand. I'm taking calculus too. It's eating my lunch and I'm flunking. I need to be in the class. So I begin, because since he reminded me of this word, I begin to explain to him my dilemma. You ever talk, tell God your dilemma like he doesn't know? I'm trying to break him in, trying to enlighten God. God, you don't understand. You don't understand how hard this is. Kind of sounds comical, doesn't it? So anyway, I was just, I was, but, and I said, but God, you said you would help me. You care for me. I need help. I need help. I need to be in this class. I need to be in this class. And so I was moving into begging mode. And then all of a sudden I felt like he told me, I will give you a B. It wasn't a, it was not an audible voice, but it was so strong inside of me that it, it hit me. It was like a sudden Yes. I'm going to give you a B. And it was so real. It was so real. I started shouting, saying, yes, I'm going to get a B. I was so excited. Now, another wonderful thing about Thursday night, this is back in the, the early, mid-80s, 85-ish, yeah, 85, when Cosby, the Cosby show, was current. Okay, no, no reruns. This was the real deal, Cosby show. And it was the most popular show back at the time. And, and there was a tradition that us and Bennett, we would go on Thursday nights down to the lobby and we'd all watch Cosby. And I just knew Cosby was out the question, off, you know, since I had to study for my test. But since God was going to give me a B, that meant I get to go downstairs and watch the Cosby show. It's like, yes, I'm going to be. So I'm about to walk out of the room and the Lord said, where are you going? I'm like, Lord, you know where I'm going. It's Thursday night. It's Cosby night. I'm going to watch Cosby. And he said, you need to study for your test. It's like, but you're going to give me a B. Why am I going to study if you're going to give me a B? He says, you need to study for your test. I'm like, rats. So anyway, so I get my, my um, is that piece of paper still over there? So I get my um, Calculus 2 book out. And unfortunately, the book was comprehensive. The final was comprehensive. Cover to cover, everything goes. And, and so, I have, so everything is... Um, eligible for the test. So I opened the book and I just started flipping through the book and start, you know, flipping through the pages. And I remember I came across a problem and the Holy Spirit said, stop and study that problem. Looked at the problem. And of course, I had no clue how to do it. But fortunately, I had a friend named George uh, who was taking the same class, taking the same. He was taking Calc 2. He had a different professor, but he's taking the same class. So he had. So I went to George and I said, George, can you show me how to do this? Not George Bacalou, different George clarify friend in college and um, I said George can you show me how to do this problem he said sure so I sat down he showed me how to do the problem and these are the kind of problems that take a whole page you know double derivatives and all you know I'm talking about Bill and that, anyway so I learned to do the problem and then I sit back down I'm excited because hey I know how to do a problem so I'm flipping through the book again Holy Spirit says stop study that problem look at the problem go back to George's room didn't know how to do the problem so he helped me to do the problem. I came in. This happened eight times. Eight times the Holy Spirit said, stop and study that problem. So eight times I went to George's room. And then what we were allowed to do, those of you in college, you know you're allowed to make a cheat sheet. 
you know, write, write formulas, math problems, everything on the test. I mean, on the paper that she can fit on the paper. Um, and, of course, I wrote microscopic so you can fit as much, much on there as you could. And we we're allowed to use these cheat sheets on our test. So I did that on my way to math class the next day, take the test. Of course, I'm scared. All the way there, I keep hearing, you're going to flunk, you're going to flunk, you're going to flunk. God's not going to help you. You're not going to get it, but you're going to flunk. You're going to flunk. You know, it's amazing. Even when you believe you hear God tell you something, someone else, the enemy comes and tries to steal that and bring fear, discouragement, doubt, unbelief. And all the way to that math class, all I kept hearing was, you're going to flunk, you're going to fail, you got to pay for school, all this stuff. So I sit down, and the, the final is a two-hour final. The professor hands out the test. And, you know, turn him face down. He says, okay, you may begin the test. I turn the test over. First of all, I noticed that there were eight problems on the test. Second of all, I noticed that the eight problems that were on the test were the same eight problems that were on my cheat sheet. All eight of those problems were on my cheat sheet. All eight of the problems that were on the test were the problems that I had done the night before. All eight of them. Now you're thinking... That I would have been jumping up and down. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to get an A, you know, praising the Lord. But you know, a thought hit me. I wanted to fall on the floor and burn some candles and incense and worship God. Because the fear of God came all over me. The fear. I mean, the, the, the awesomeness. Fear. I was afraid. Because I realized that the creator of the universe talked to me last night. Because you could say, well, it's a coincidence that, that you had one of the problems on the test. But to say it's a coincidence to have all eight of them, you've got to be an idiot to believe that, right? So anyway, so I, I'm just about to freak out. And then I pull myself together. I do the test. It takes me 15 minutes to transfer the information from one side of the page to the other. That's pretty much all I was doing was just copying. And so I finish. The test, but I'm not an idiot, you know, because I'm, I'm done a two hour test in 15 minutes. I go up there and take it to the professor, right? He looks at me. You're the first one finished. So I didn't do that. So I wait. I'm pretending like I'm working on the test. I wait for other people to turn their test in. Then I get up, turn my test in. And then after I get, out, get outside the door, I get my cheat sheet and I tear it to shreds, which I regret today. But I tore this thing to shred tiny pieces because what if the professor had found this piece of paper? What am I going to tell him? He says, hmm, these are the problems on the test. What am I going to say? Yeah, God gave it to me. Think about that. So I tore this up, you know, and got rid of the evidence so I wouldn't be accused of cheating. And I wish I would have kept it as a memorial. But then I was thinking the other day, if I would have kept that piece of paper, I'd probably have a little shrine in the side of my living room. And so, so it was a good thing that I, that I destroyed it, you know, so that wouldn't happen. But anyway, so a couple of days later, we're told we can go to the professor and find out what our grade is. I think it was that following Monday. So anyway, so I go. And of course, guess what's happened? On the way to the professor's office, what do I hear? You flunked. You flunked. You flunked. 
You know, so I kept thinking. So I'm like, no, I know I've got a B in that class. I know I made an A and all that kind of stuff. So I go in there, standing in line because people are there before me. And I go up and, and he asks me my name. I tell him Charles Ellis. And uh, he was a, uh, a young man. He was a, a TA, I believe, a teacher's assistant, whatever, from Poland. Had an accident. An accident. Had an accident. <laughs> And he's looking, and I see him, I tell him my name, and so I see him, I'm watching his eyes, and he's looking down the paper, and then he stops at my name, he goes over, and all of a sudden he starts to frown. I'm like, I'm caught. It's over. And he says, I don't understand. You do very poorly throughout the, te- throughout the semester. I'm like, my heart's just racing. Oh, no. Oh. He says, but you do very well on final. You make B in class. Thank you very much. Kept my composure. So as you can imagine, I was pretty excited. Hope I didn't break any equipment back there. Sorry, Todd, I didn't mean to death forgot. (laughs) But anyway, when I go back to my dorm room and I just fall on my knees and I'm just about to come undone because the magnitude of what just happened hit me. Wait a minute. God told me the test told me these problems. I got to be in the class. And he said, I will give you a B. And I got to be, I got like a 98 or 99 on the final. Got to be in the class. And I said, I don't get it. I do not get this. And then he spoke this to me. He said, CJ, I want you to understand. I care about every area of your life. Every area of your life I care about. And see, because remember, I had that stinking thinking that God only cares about the big, important stuff. But he says, you are important, and my stuff is important to him. And that that incident right there, you know, that happened, what, however many years ago, back in 85? I don't feel like doing the math. I'm sick of math. I don't have to do math anymore. But that happened so many years ago, but yet it's it's still in here. And I shared this testimony many, many times because it was a pivotal point. Remember the setup that I said. I had these questions. If God is not real, then I'm wasting my time. But if he is, then he deserves all of me. Well, guess what I just realized? He's real. So guess what I did? I'm yours. I'm yours. And as a college student after that, you know, there were times after that, um, being broke and hungry all the time, those you know, my two common characteristics, broken, hungry. And there were times when I was, I remember studying, I was a desk clerk, I had a job. And I was working, and I was trying to study for a test, but I was hungry, stomach growling, you know how that goes. I was having a hard time studying. And I said, Lord, you said that you would provide for me, you'd help me, and, and I need help. Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock shall be open. Lord, I need food. I'm hungry. I remember not five minutes after that, I prayed that. Um, working at the desk, and Domino's Pizza. Where's Emerald? Yeah, Domino's. Domino's Pizza. might have been there. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Emerald. But Domino's Pizza, a delivery came and said, I have a pizza for room 320-something. Of course, that aroma is just killing me. <sighs> and anyway, a girl comes down, newer, barely, and um, she gets her pizza, pays for it, and she looks at me, she looks around. Maybe I had this pitiful look on me like, I'm starving. But she looked around real quick because those of you who lived in a dorm know that if you had food, you better not be discovered with it or it would not be yours. You know, anyway, so she looks real quick and she goes, hey, CJ, you want some pizza? I'm like, heck, yeah. 
So she grabs me a couple of pieces and she disappears upstairs. Just like that. Lord, I'm hungry. I need help. Pizza, just like that. And not a short time after that, I'm studying for a history test. And we have this worksheet. And it has the definitions and stuff you're supposed to know on a test. I'm sitting there. So I sit down to study. I have my worksheet. And all of a sudden, my stomach is growling. And it's screaming at me. Remember, hungry and broke characteristics. So I'm sitting there trying to study, distracted. I said, Lord, I'm hungry. I, I can't do this. You know, I'm praying for food and everything. And all of a sudden, I look down and I can't. That sheet disappeared. The worksheet. So I'm looking all over for it. I get my book and I, you know, flip it up, look under the chair and everything. Can't find it. I get this thought. Go to Joe's room. Like, oh, yeah, Joe's taking the same class. I'll borrow his worksheet, copy it, sit down and study again. Went to Joe's room, knocked on the door. He says, come in. And and Joe said, oh, by the way, my mom just left. And I knew what that meant when he said his mom just left. And he said, and it was like slow motion. I could hear it today. He said, help yourself. And I look over on his bed. And it's just covered with submarine sandwiches, Doritos, brownies, chocolate chip cookies, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love you so much. (laughs) So I forget all about the worksheet. I'm just, you know, scarfing. Because when his parents come, they they always brought him a care package, big care package. Because they knew Joe didn't eat all this stuff by himself, you know, so she cared about all of us. So. So I go back to my room loaded with submarine sandwiches and chips and all that kind of stuff, put it in my ice box. And I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot all about the worksheet. Well, I open my book and it's right there. Right there. There the whole time. And see, things like that kept happening and they continue to this day to happen where God provides. But he reminded me, you know, when Jesus asked that question, who do you say that I am? You know who I say he is? First of all, I say he's my Lord and Savior. Because I confessed him as my Lord and Savior. The Bible says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And that word Lord, confess him as Lord, means boss, king, owner. So I confessed him as my Lord. I submitted my life to him. But you know what else I call him? The one who cares. That's what he is to me. The one who cares. And you know why I'm so passionate about Jesus and why I'm so passionate about telling people on the streets about him? I never did drugs. I never did alcohol. I never got addicted to any of that stuff. I never got into certain social ills that the world says is wrong. I never got addicted to that kind of stuff. But I know if God cares about my math test and he cares about my little hunger pains, then he cares about your addictions. He cares about your um, being abused. He cares about the, the big things that we consider big. So I get to go around telling people about the God who cares. How he wants to heal, save, set you free, deliver you from bondage and help you. That's why I get passionate. That's why I am passionate. About this Jesus. He's awesome. He is awesome. And you know there was a time in my life. When I used to be literally and really. I used to be ashamed of my testimony. What I just shared with you. I used to be ashamed of it. Embarrassed. 
Because I used to love the testimonies, and I still do, and I appreciate the testimonies of those who were addicted to drugs, who were messed up, who were out on the streets, homeless and all that kind of, you know, in prison, that kind of thing. And I thank God for those testimonies. But I used to compare that testimony to mine, a good, a little kid, a good guy who didn't do hardly anything wrong. And I know I realized I was a sinner when I committed my life to Jesus. But comparing myself to other people didn't see that my testimony is not that exciting. And for most people, it really isn't. But it's exciting to me because I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm spirit filled, tongue talking, devil chasing, Bible believing, Jesus freak. That's me. Because I know the God who cares. And I appreciate him so much. And I love to tell people about him. So who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus Christ? He's many things. He's the healer. He's the comforter. He's the deliverer. He's the restorer. The one who restores a person's dignity. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament, Matthew, I believe it's chapter 8, when Jesus comes off the, the mountain preaching of the greatest sermon known to man, the Beatitudes, all that. And it says a leper comes and worships him. He bows down before him and he says, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me whole. Now, leprosy is a horrendous disease. Still is. But lepers were unclean. They couldn't touch people, nor could they be touched. And if a leper was walking where there were people, they had to say, unclean, unclean. So people would separate so they can walk through. So they wouldn't touch anybody or anybody would touch them. So imagine this leper. We don't know how long he was a leper, whether it was all his life or he got it later in life or when he got it. But let's just say it was a couple of years just for the sake of argument. So he was a leper for two years. So he's gone two years without anybody touching him. Two years without being touched. Can you imagine that? Going two years without being touched, hugged, embraced. And yet every time you cross somebody or was walking by, you had to say unclean so they would move, move away from you. And here's this man with leprosy bowing down before Jesus, worshiping him. He says, if you want to, you can make me whole. Because he knew Jesus could. And then what did Jesus say? What did he do? Not only did he say, I want to. First it says he touched him. And I don't think it was just a little touch. My take is, and I can't prove this, and I don't intend to or to try, but I believe Jesus really touched him. And that was before he said, I want to. It says he touched him, then he said, I want to. And the guy was healed. Now, this is a man who hadn't been touched in over two years or longer. And all of a sudden, Jesus embraces him. And the interesting thing is, is the following story is about a man, a centurion servant, who was several miles away, and Jesus said, he's healed. Didn't touch him. Didn't even go to him. Actually, he was on his way to touch him, to minister to him. Didn't even have to go. So the thing is, Jesus could have said to the leper, be healed. But Jesus touched him. You're worth it. And when he touched him, he was still messed up. Still maybe oozing with the sores and all that kind of stuff. See, this is the kind of Jesus that I'm passionate about. He'll get with us in our mess and say, hey, I want to help you. I care. 
And he healed the man. So Jesus is many things to many people. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? We're going to go ahead and take communion right now. The Bible says that when we... Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. But as we're taking this communion... You know, before Jesus was the one who cared, he was my Lord and Savior. And then after he became my Lord and Savior, then I began to benefit from his other characteristics of the one who cared.